My name is Alice. I worked for the Umbrella Corporation at a secret high-tech facility called The Hive. A giant underground laboratory developing experimental viral weaponry. But there was an incident. The virus escaped and everybody died. Trouble was, they didn't stay dead. Welcome to Now Playing's retrospective series of Resident Evil. You're all going to die down here. Hosted by Player One, Justin. That's right. Star power, bitches. Player Two, Stuart. Congratulations. <laughs> Officially a badass. And Player Three, Arnie. They're stars. They're the best. These podcasts contain detailed plot spoilers, mild language, and zombie dogs. This is humanity's last stand. The beginning of the end. Listener discretion is advised. Waiting for a written invitation? Today we're discussing... Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Starring K.S. Godelario, Hannah John Kamen, Robbie Amell, Tom Hopper, Yvonne Yogia, with Donna Loge, and Neil McDonough. Directed by Johannes Roberts. This is Arnie, co-host of Now Playing. Thanks for dialing into our chat room here. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, this is Stuart, and uh, 1998 is it. We're back in uh, the year of AOL. <laughs> and this is Justin. Five years, folks. Five years since we covered the final chapter of Paul W.S. Anderson and Mia Jovovich's six-part saga. Can you believe it? I can't. It does not feel that long that we have covered you bowl. We weren't even doing the video game retrospective. We were just doing Resident Evil because we thought it would be good. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then we kept going and saying, let's do more video games. I, what, what is that thinking called? I don't know. False. It's called false thinking. <laughs> <laughs> Glutton for punishment. So here's a game. I'm curious to see if either of you can name one of the sequels or tell me something distinctive that happened in one of the six installments. Oh, I'm pretty good at that. I mean, I could basically recite scene for scene the first one with the laser really? grid and Alice waking up alone in the mansion and her ninja kicking that dog. I mean, I've seen that one more than half a dozen times. Yeah. My memory was that it closely tracked with aliens. There was a bunch of Marines going underground to this nest. And yeah, there was this chick named Alice... There was all this Alice in Wonderland stuff. There was like a little girl that was the Red Queen. And yeah, a lot of Kung Fu as well. All right. The first one is kind of a cheat, right? Like, because the first one can be considered somewhat of a classic. I mean, we won't get into what we thought about it. Yeah. But beyond that, it's a mismatch. I mean, I have memories of them being in the desert in Vegas covered in sand at one point. That was the third one. Yeah, it was kind of Road Warrior-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I remember it was called Extinction and it had a bunch of zombie birds. Okay. And then the second one wasn't directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. It was some other guy. And there was like Mia's friend had like turned into a monster and was running around the street. Does that sound familiar? 
for listeners who've just re-listened to the Resident Evil retrospective series and are now hearing us fumble as to what happened in those movies. <laughs> I remember, like, the second to last one ended with dragons over the White House. Yeah, you're right. Yes. The final chapter, like there was a new virus that either fixed the problem or created new monsters. They, they really weren't sure. I remember the weekend it came out, they were already saying, we're rebooting this and it's going to be James Wan. Insidious, Conjuring, James Wan was going to step in and have his say with the uh, Resident Evil franchise, but that didn't come to be. Yeah, he ended up producing Mortal Kombat's reboot instead. Yeah, I guess after Aquaman miraculously didn't tank, he felt like he didn't need it. But James Wan, <laughs> you know, I always credit him as traps. He would stage good sequences. I don't know that he would bring, like, an elevated resonant. We don't need that, right? We don't need any director to come in and make this B-picture franchise into some A-list action series. It's not going to be Mad Max. But who knows if he would have actually directed. Like I said, he ended up, switching his attention and instead of being involved with resident evil he became involved with mortal Kombat. he just produced mortal Kombat. there were no traps in mortal Kombat. there was nothing good in mortal Kombat. i forgot that even happened i mean i'll be honest i didn't even remember that that movie came out and that was this year <laughs> yeah so i don't know that james wan's involvement with resident evil would have given it that same james wan feel versus him just perhaps bringing in someone he wanted to usher into the spotlight instead of Johannes Roberts. Right. So Johannes Roberts is, well, we recently covered the Stranger sequel and I gave it a mild pass. I really liked the mood. It, it was pretty empty as far as the experience goes. I wouldn't even dare to say it was a good movie. It was a trash movie that had a really cool trailer park atmosphere. And there were a couple cool kills in a swimming pool and with a flaming car. And he had style. That's the one thing I would say. The idea that this director is coming into the franchise is he has his own visual aesthetic that is very different than Anderson. And he also made that movie about Mandy Moore being in the shark cage. Yeah, 47 meters down. Yeah, I saw it when I had, you know, Movie Pass had just come out, and I literally was just going to see every movie I could because it didn't cost me anything. So I remember having an okay time with that. It, it didn't cost me anything but 90 minutes, and it did what it was supposed to and no more. Engaging mediocrity. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, looking at his roster, short roster of films, that's the only other work of his I've seen, and, and I didn't hate it. It was a decent shark movie and a little bit of a psychological thriller there but if it's a piece on his resume i think there's some themes in that movie that we'll see in the movie we're about to discuss before seeing resident evil i'd seen three of his films i saw both 47 meters down and i'd seen the strangers pray at night and i don't think i'd green arrow any of them i didn't green arrow the strangers 47 meters down I didn't like, but the sequel looked better, and so I even went back for the sequel, and then I'm like, why did I do this to myself? Here's what I would say about his entire career. He makes the kind of straight-to-tape movies you wish straight-to-tape movies were. Like, when you watch those things that only get released to streaming, you're like, oh, like, if only they were good as Johannes Roberts movies, which somehow find theatrical distribution, but feel like junky knockoff sequels that probably shouldn't play anywhere near an AMC. 
Which brings us directly to Resident Evil, because if this wasn't on our schedule, if Thanksgiving weekend, the three of us weren't taking time to record on this movie, I wouldn't know this movie came out. Mm. I had zero awareness of this film. And I even, I do know, I saw the trailer a couple of times in theaters, like when I went to see Halloween, I remember thinking, dear God, are they trying to scare me with four non-blondes in that opening? I mean, the the trailer was supposed to be scary, but they were doing four non-blondes. Now, some people may think the vocals in that are frightening, but I didn't see TV ads for this. I didn't Mm-mm. see IMDb takeovers for this. Mm-mm. When I go to YouTube and I see ads before the videos, I didn't see ads for this. I had zero awareness outside of now playing that this was opening this weekend. So what do we think? Does that mean that they're not putting anything into promoting this movie? Or is there a new style of viral marketing that only targets gamers? And like if you were playing the video games that had come out, like you would be highly aware of it because they would promote it within the game world. I don't know. I know that there was a new Resident Evil game, The Village, that came out this year. Have any of you even gone back and played a game since we covered this? I haven't played the game. I have watched some people do a run-through of this latest version, and I can tell you it has nothing to do with the movie we're about to talk about. I mean, it's set in the same world, I guess, where there are creatures of this ilk, but and I think there's some mentions of Umbrella, but yeah. outside of that, I mean, it's set in a, a swamp, broken-down house. Yeah, they never did, I mean, not that there's a dense plot to adapt, but they never did try and directly adapt the video game. As I recall, Alice, the Mia Jovovich character, was an original creation. She wasn't even a video game character. Yeah, Paul W.S. Anderson pretty much wanted to make his movie, and by slapping some Resident Evil clothes on that first one, he got a big budget. And then they brought in a lot of characters from those games, but they weren't adaptations the way the movie we're talking about tonight was i have not had a chance to go back and play any of the resident evil games or any of the new ones i've been wanting to but time is an issue when you're an adult and i find myself playing things like ace attorney instead of resident evil mm-hmm. yeah we got uh, more <laughs> video games to cover there's only probably about five movies left good news i guess but just want to point out now that we're almost through this wretched wretched retrospective resident evil that first 2002 movie is probably one of the best top three right best video game movies ever absolutely i mean i think i was defending it way back then it really is a highly entertaining video game adaptation that brings a 90s video game feel if not a resident evil feel to the screen i think i was sour on it at the time but now in retrospect all these movies <laughs> later and the fields we've trudged through 11 you a bulls <laughs> yeah i get it yeah I, I would put it up higher yeah it really i mean and i can't go as far as arnie to say it's highly entertaining but if i wanted junk food i mean i gave it a recommend and i don't regret it it's something that definitely can be improved upon, and that's what I'm hoping to get now that they're rebooting, and we don't see Anderson or Jovovich anywhere near these this new creation. It is its own standalone thing. Anderson's name was in the credits. Did you notice? He no. is an executive producer of this. I guess he's just so intertwined with the license, he's going to get a paycheck. Hmm. No, yeah, but they ended up doing that awful... Another movie we saw this year that can you even remember? They ended up doing some Japanese monster hunter game that i 
there were big things in the desert, and she did a lot of flips. Oh, yeah. Yes, I do remember that. It was not as good as Resident Evil. <laughs> yes. It seemed to me like they got the losing end of the stick. Johannes and whoever is coming into this Resident Evil probably are going to have a better product than what Anderson has moved on to. That was at least my hope. But you're right. I think I saw the trailer only because you were screaming about how inappropriate the Four Non Blondes What's Up song was in the trailer of this movie. So I went on YouTube and watched the trailer. But I don't think I ever saw it before a movie. I don't ever remember seeing this on TV or hearing anyone at all talk about it. Like this feels like... Again, a straight-to-tape movie that somehow is premiering on a crowded Thanksgiving weekend. Yeah, I mean, if there is a marketing campaign for this, I, I echo both of what you guys are saying. Maybe it's possible that they're doing some very direct marketing and, you know, putting ads directly on Twitch to the audience I think is going to hit this. Mm, yeah, we're not the target market. Like, they're going for the young gamer. That very well could be, because my friend Ryan, who I've mentioned on many shows, usually are DC retrospective, because I take him to things like Green Lantern so he can explain what I'm seeing. <laughs> he came down for Thanksgiving, and he was excited to see Resident Evil. He's like, are you reviewing Resident Evil? Because I really want to go and see that movie. And I'm like, you do? <laughs> you know it's coming out? Right. How did you hear about it? <laughs> he works in IT and he's like, all the people in my IT department are going to go see it. And apparently his friend who's a gamer, yes, the gamer groups were excited to see it. He felt like this was going to be a very crowded movie because the colleges are out. And so all the college people were going to be going and seeing Resident Evil with fervor. Yeah, I'll just put it this way. I saw it Tuesday at a three o'clock matinee. So obviously it was never going to be super crowded. But I walked in and the only person there was an old man in the back. And I mean like 80, like 80 year old man in way in the background. And he sat there and it's, you know, it takes a while for the title to appear in this movie. There's probably about five minutes of plot. When it actually says Resident Evil, he got up and left. And I was like, yeah, that's what I thought. He was in the wrong movie. <laughs> in the wrong movie, pal. But then he came back like 30 minutes later and then left again. So I don't know if he was just like swinging around trying to find his jam like is it going to be clifford like I, I don't know like he was sampling them all i don't know if you, that even counts as an audience but it was pretty much a private screening for my showing tuesday close situation there i was at the three o'clock as well not same theater but yeah it was me a buddy and maybe a handful of other people in this giant auditorium for this three o'clock show did your buddy want to go independently or did you drag him? I told him I was going. He's like, ah, I wouldn't mind seeing it. And he's played the games in the past. So, you know, he wasn't completely in the dark on the franchise, but we had about the exact same experience with it. Mm -hmm. I saw it on Tuesday premiere night on a 615 showing. Okay. And I was hoping, A, I was hoping this movie was streaming. <laughs> <laughs> Why isn't this movie streaming? I'm just going to put that out. When I bought my tickets, the theater seemed pretty empty, but they put it on one of the small screens. They didn't put it on like the Super XD screen or anything. It was only in one screen, which is not a sign of great hope. Mm -hmm. But by the time I got there, the theater was probably two thirds full and it was mostly younger people. There was a girl sitting one seat away from me on my left and I believe she surgically 
connected her phone to her hand because the person behind her told her turn off her phone. So she then started aiming it my way. I told her turn off her phone. She then built up her coat so that I, it wouldn't be in my peripheral vision. The attendant in the theater then came and told her turn off her phone. She still didn't, and she was kicked out of the theater. Oh, really? I've never seen that happen. This is the kind of reason I prefer streaming at home is attendees like that who, why did you come? She was talking throughout the movie. She had her phone on the entire movie. I think she was psychologically incapable of turning that screen off. So mm -hmm. I can't say I had a great theatrical experience, but it was a crowded theater. Yeah. And there are people <laughs> turning up, even if they're not turning their eyes up at what's on the screen. <laughs> I wonder if she felt like she missed anything. <laughs> yeah, I was like, can we really blame her? If she ended up like, there were times I wanted to look at my phone, but why don't we get into it, Arnie? Give them the plot to Welcome to Raccoon City, and we can find out how different it is from the Resident Evils we've seen before. Raccoon City survived due to the Umbrella Corporation. That pharmaceutical company founded in Raccoon City was the largest employer and kept the city running. In 1998, when this movie takes place, however, Umbrella has shuttered its first headquarters, and that left Raccoon City a broken ghost town. More, all the residents appear to be getting ill, with their skin turning pale and their hair falling out. The only people appearing to thrive in this town is its police force. <laughs> there you have characters from the games, including Jill Valentine, played by Hannah John Kamen, and Chris Redfield, played by Robbie Amell, rookie Leon S. Kennedy, Albert Wesker, played by Tom Hopper, and a few others, including their chief, Brian Irons, played by Donald Logue. Into this town comes Chris Redfield's estranged sister Claire, played by K.S. Godelario. She ran away from the Raccoon City orphanage where she and Chris grew up under the watch of umbrella scientist William Birkin, played by I'm Never a Good Guy, Mil McDonough, <laughs> a man who Chris views as a father figure. Lately, Claire had been chatting online with a Raccoon City resident who believes Umbrella has poisoned Raccoon City's water supply. You guys remember ASL? Mm. Get in the chat room, ASL? Age, sex, location? <laughs> yep. <laughs> if that location came back Raccoon City, so Claire had to return. But she tries to reunite with Chris, and Chris rejects her attempts to reconnect. In fact, Chris and almost every other cop is sent to the Spencer Mansion the former home of the founder of Umbrella Corporation. Two officers went missing at the mansion, so the rest of the cops go on a search and rescue mission, while Chief Irons quits his job and tries to escape the city. Every sick resident has started to turn into a vicious, flesh-eating zombie, but the chief finds the city's quarantined, guarded by Umbrella agents with machine guns on every road out. Irons returns to the station, where the only cop left is rookie Leon. The two are saved from zombies when Claire arrives. When the zombies overrun the station, Claire and the two cops go to the orphanage where she grew up. There they find a secret passage to the Umbrella Corporation. See, Umbrella was experimenting on these young orphans, and Claire was next up for experimentation when she ran away. Meanwhile, the cops are in the Spencer Mansion, which is also overrun with zombies, including a zombie dog. Several cops are killed, and Wesker reveals himself to be a bit of a double agent. He'd been hired to steal the Umbrella Corporation's formulas for another company, and he views that as his primary mission. He even abandons the other cops so he can try to get the formula and then get the money. His employer gave him knowledge of a secret underground facility. 
He goes in search of the Umbrella Formula, but survivors Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine flee into the tunnels to escape zombies. Underground, Wesker finds Dr. Birkin. The Umbrella scientist, his wife, and his daughter were going to leave Raccoon City before the corporation destroys the entire city at 6am. But first, Birkin came to get samples of his zombie-making formula. In a gunfight, Wesker shoots and kills Birkin and his wife, and when it looks like Wesker will also kill the little girl, he's shot and killed by Jill, who got there just in time. Jill and Chris meet up with Leon and Claire. These are the only four survivors of Raccoon City. They take Birkin's daughter and race to an underground train, hoping to escape the city before it's destroyed. But Birkin injected himself with the formula and mutated into a half-man, half-monster, hell-bent on killing the four. Claire and Leon together kill Monster Birkin, and the five survivors escape on the train just in time as the city collapses upon itself. But, as credits roll, we see that somehow Albert Wesker also escaped, and he's not dead. He's been revived by his mysterious employer. He meets that company's agent, Ada Wong, as the rest of the credits roll. You're right, that is what happens on screen if you should choose to look at it. <laughs> it is filled with a lot of characters. Here's going to be the biggest compliment I can give this movie, is it is a fairly faithful adaptation of the first two Resident Evil games in terms of style, camera angles, character inclusion, plot, the fact that Chris is in the Spencer Mansion while his sister is outside trying to find where he's gone and go to him. They have done a nearly slavish recreation of the games in movie form. Everything that W.S. Anderson left behind, Johannes came around and picked up and showed a true devotion to the games. The problem is when you have two games and you're talking 80 hours of story and you're trying to compress that into about an hour and 40, it's a lot of story for a very short time and a lot of characters that are on screen for a couple of minutes before they die. And it should be said, the video game came out in September 1998. The only thing I knew about this movie, this is a 90s period piece. We are going back to 1998 because that is the dawn of the Resident Evil video game franchise and because, well, maybe that's nostalgic for the target audience. Well, and that target audience after listening to this plot summary and sitting through this movie is getting diced up into smaller and smaller chunks. Like who is this target audience now? Mm. Is it people who loved that game 24 years ago and have been waiting for somebody to make another movie after the other eight got finished? Like, I just, I'm not sure who they were putting on the wall and trying to hit with a dart with this movie. Was it horror fans? Were they trying to make a legit scary zombie horror film because i'll give it this this film has atmosphere oozing off the screen yeah i agree i feel like this is what that one trailer that i saw told me no flips no kung fu my problems with the original series was that it just ultimately wanted to have that video game action and that was sort of a mood killer for someone that wanted a zombie horror movie you know if you really wanted romero it didn't work. Like, I felt like it was always working against it that we had to have Mia doing the stunts. Yes, I agree with that. You know, this movie is filled with characters, but missing an ass kicker. You know, there's not one character here that is going to be our hero that we're waiting to come in and save the day. But we're told, and this is confusing for me, I eventually figure it out, 
But there's two little girls in this movie, and I didn't realize that it was two different timelines. But Claire Redfield is our main character. And I don't remember her from any previous installment, but she is the one that got away. We will see in flashbacks, dream sequences, that she, as a little girl, was at an orphanage. She and her brother lost their parents in a car crash. I don't know if that's significant or not. I could never tie that to the thrust of the plot, which is Umbrella Corp has a whole bunch of propaganda up around this orphanage, and every night they seem to go grab a new little kid and haul him away to be turned into a mutant. Just for clarification, Claire Redfield was in many of the previous movies. She was played by Allie Larder from Heroes. Okay. So, yes, that character was around. If the character wasn't Mia Jovovich, the characters didn't make much of an impression in those films. So, Kmart. I, I'll always remember Kmart. <laughs> she was introduced with Kmart. She was kind of like yes. Kmart's guardian. I remember this now. Yes. Okay. But again, characters in the sense that they wear cool outfits, I don't think that they ever made an impression as far as their personal backstory. And here we're getting a backstory. She lost her parents. She was put to this orphanage. She was going to be turned into a mutant, but she had a late night encounter with this other mutant named Lisa, who, help me out, What what is this? Yeah, from the best I can tell, she's wearing somebody else's skin. To hide her deformities. Okay, maybe. She is from the game series. Okay. It's a mask that, that she has. There's, it looks. I thought originally it looked like she was a mutant and she had two faces. I thought we were getting some real, like, from beyond reanimator kind of, like, graphic makeup effects here. But no, in the end, it's kind of a cheat that she disguises whatever is wrong with her and is warning this girl... That she lives below and that she doesn't want to be there. And Claire, we're told, left five years ago, but she looks like she's 12 in these flashbacks. And when she returns, she looks like she's 30. She may have disappeared five years earlier, but when she ran away, it was the 80s. Because they're trying to set the time period in this early scene. One of the security guards is watching the Golden Girls on TV. And I doubt he was watching Golden Palace, where B. Arthur left and Cheech Marin stepped in. So, <laughs> well, Golden Girls is, it's running right now. I'm, you know, like, it'll always be on. But I get your point. Like, this was probably in its original heyday. And you're right, this movie loves to ladle in. There'll be so many references to Blockbuster and Planet Hollywood and VHS tapes. Yeah, I'm just saying, I think that these flashbacks are supposed to be about 10 years before the main events here. I think we're mm. in, like, 1988. Okay, yeah. I heard many different things, but basically, she ran away because she was going to be adopted by this evil Dr. Birkin, who, as you already pointed out, if it's Neil McDonough, get away. Run <laughs> as far as you can. Always a bad guy. He has something about his eyes and something about his smile. Always just telegraphs. I'm really thinking about ways to dismember you. And so <laughs> you just would, obviously, why does her brother stay and allow this man to pay for his police academy education? That I don't ever get. And are there any other jobs in Raccoon City? Is mm. it either you work for the pharmaceutical company, you work at a diner, or you're a cop, apparently? Yeah, I think it was primarily Umbrella Corporation employees, and then a few support staff at a gas station, and a diner, and then apparently Umbrella funded a hell of a police force, because... They're fine, and they're still working. There's nobody to police in this town, but there's more cops than residents, it seems. And they have a helicopter, for God's sake. 
I can only take it to mean that this is the control group, right? Umbrella Corporation is poisoning everyone in the town except the police force who are all buff and pretty and don't have a blemish on their bodies and are always walking around half naked. They are? Well, yeah, I mean, like, I guess it's not as skimpy as maybe the Anderson vision, but I feel like... Yeah, they're teasing Flash where they can. Are they? I I missed all the teases. Yeah, I, I hear you. It's not the exploitation film that maybe you would expect. But yes, the cops are doing well, and everyone else is doing really bad when Claire hitchhikes back into town September 1998, and we get this moment with a truck driver where he hits a zombie in the road and his dog licks the blood, and we know what that means. Yeah, I think it's just a movie cliche. If you're a woman picked up by a hitchhiker, that hitchhiker is going to try to molest you and take his eyes off the road in doing so. And he'll get bit and turned into one of the zombies that is sort of running around here in the middle of the movie. But they try to tease the idea that people we meet along the way in the background, waitresses and, and neighbors and, uh, and balding and scary rundown houses are all just waiting to explode into a zombie rage, but haven't yet. The dog drinking the blood was new for me. I know that if a zombie bites you, you become a zombie, but if you bite a zombie, if you drink its blood, do you become a zombie? That was new. Well, viruses, I think blood products generally don't drink them, yeah. Every zombie world has their own rules on what you can and can't do. But up to this point, I'm enjoying kind of the slow burn of this movie. I'm kind of enjoying the fact that we're not just being thrown into a situation where zombies have already taken over and we're just here to fire at them with oversized weapons. You know, I'm enjoying the slow reveals of, oh, a dog is licking blood and oop, he's going to come back a few scenes later and he's looking gnarly. And this truck driver is slowly turning. It doesn't feel at all like any Resident Evil we've seen before. And since I can't really remember the games, it doesn't even remind me of a video game. It's too slow-paced. It feels like, and and the allusions to it become more and more obvious as they go along, it feels like we're in John Carpenter world. And that was intentional. Yeah. Johannes talked about how he wanted to homage John Carpenter in many different ways in this film. And I think even in some of the minimalistic camera work, shall I say? Yeah. The score, even the titling. I mean, a lot of it does look like a John Carpenter movie from the 80s. Again, like, where's your period? Because John Carpenter, by 1998, was making vampires and was pretty much kaput. The reference is not entirely right. And then I get really confused because, okay, Claire is back to save her brother. Like, she feels bad that she left him, or maybe she realized that there was no place for her out in this world, and she's come back to... Be a part of Raccoon City? Is it ever clear why she came back? No, yeah, she's coming back to try to get her brother to verify that the information she's getting from this guy in a chat room is giving her from the inside that Raccoon City, there's something weird going on here. We don't know what yet, and we're starting to kind of see it on screen, but he's telling her that, you know, things aren't right. People are acting weird and things are changing. So she comes back to talk to her brother about it, and he calls her a conspiracy nut. Why does she want to expose this? I mean, if it's not for the sake of saving her brother, I mean, it's not like she's from the FBI. It's not like they're doing an X-Files reference here. Why is she so into the underground workings of Raccoon City? If she was coming just to get her brother and say, listen, I know we've had our falling out, but you're my brother and you need to get the hell out of here. I'd understand that. Her 
entire investigation, as far as I can tell, she has no job, no responsibility, no money, and no credibility. Yeah, and she was talking to this guy, Ben Bertolucci, in a chat room, and somehow wound up with a VHS tape of him rattling off in front of a conspiracy board of umbrella, you know, like, pin things up and run string between pictures kind of thing. Basically what gets said is they're spilling nuclear waste and poisoning the city. Maybe the water supply or I don't know what. But yes, these are people that are being slowly poisoned by a chemical company. And this kind of has a real-world equivalency. I kind of like this, because if you think, historically speaking, around this time, Purdue was filling small-town America with Oxycontin and the opioid epidemic. That's when this was happening. So there is something seedy, and like it does feel like everyone here is kind of strung out on drugs, bleeding from the eyes, all of it. It does feel like, ooh, I guess this does feel like what was going on in small-town America in 1998. And a chemical company is to blame. And I agree with you, Arnie. You know, I didn't really think too much about it. I mean, while watching the movie, I was like, oh, she's back to save her brother. That's good enough reason. But no, it needs more. She needs to be an investigative reporter or something that's here for a bigger reason. Or she needs to be far more into telling her brother, let's get the hell out of town. But Mm -hmm. she seems more interested in uncovering the mystery than she does in her brother. Yeah, and what's really weird is everyone's going to be ordered out of this town. Like, alarms are going to go off, and everyone is supposed to be evacuating, but these cops are not leaving their post. Like, they're like, nope, we got to go investigate some mansion or something. What are you talking about? Chernobyl, people, get out. (laughs) Like, why are they hanging out in this town? It makes no sense, but I I agree with you. Justin, what I like about this movie is the slow burn mood of just seeing people in this scuzzy little strung out town where everyone feels like, yeah, they're just about to explode, crying blood from their eyes and losing their hair and all of that. It's got mood for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's raining this entire time through this entire first act. It is just pouring rain and it's dark. It's often hard to see what's going on quite a bit, and I'm sure that's by design. But it is creating a good mood for this type of movie up to now. Do we need the other cops? I know that Chris is a cop. They're going to indicate, and I say that because he has a picture of Jill Valentine in his house, that the reason why he stayed all this time is that he's in love with a girl. And I guess that's as good a reason as any. But he stayed because he wants this other cop to fall in love with him. And she's, like, mixed up in some CW way with a big, tall, muscular guy named Albert Wesker. And it just feels very, like, TV show, teen soap opera. But that's the reason why he's hanging out here. But once they get word that things are going wrong, I don't understand why everyone isn't trying to get out of Dodge. I will give the cops this. From the diner, where we're introduced to most of these cops, two of the cops are sent up to the mansion. For what reason? We never know who called it in, but apparently there's chewed up bodies. I don't know who made that phone call. And then I could understand the rest of the cops not wanting to leave behind their partners and friends. You know, a camaraderie, a no man left behind kind of mentality. Mm. We have two men up there. Let's go get them and then get the hell out. But yes, why they're still there when the sirens have gone off and why bother with the sirens? Because apparently there's people on every road just to shoot you. Is the siren just to make you try to leave so they could just shoot you immediately? 
I couldn't figure that out. Raccoon City does make a phone call to its head CEO, Neil McDonough, is still living there, and as he's putting his child to bed, he gets the phone call and says, okay, pack up the car, we're out of here. But he's making the curious choice before he leaves to raid his laboratory for vials of virus. And I don't know if this got excised from the movie because of COVID and we're uncomfortable with virus and we don't want to be sitting in a public movie theater thinking about diseases, but it was only because I'd seen other movies that I understood that he had invented biological weapons and was going to preserve them. Did I miss it? Do they ever talk about the T virus or the G virus or the Z virus? Because in the plot summary on Wikipedia, it's like he ejects himself with the G virus. I'm like, he did? I All I kept hearing was my work, my formula. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was kept to a bare minimum. And I think probably for the reasons that Stuart is intimating here, but the term G virus was said right before he injected himself with that final one. And I was trying to rack my brain if they did mention T virus, because that's the main one from the first couple of games. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's the big brand name that we should all as Resident Evil fans have in our head. I heard it once. I heard somebody say it somewhere, but don't ask for a quote. I don't know what (laughs) they were talking about. And again, it's helpful to know this franchise. You know, they just a lot of what's going on. If you've seen other zombie movies, if you played the game, you can probably figure it out. But I would say, in general, the scripting, the plotting of this movie is pretty abysmal. Can I throw on that fire the acting? Sure. (laughs) (laughs) You mentioned CW, Mm. and I did look up, and several of these actors are from DC shows that air on CW. Mm -hmm. The Flash, yeah. Yeah, one's from Flash and the Legends of Tomorrow, I think it is. And while individually, some of these actors aren't bad, one of them starred in the Amazon show Upload, and I really enjoyed that show and his work in it. Here, these people don't feel like a crew, they barely feel like people working on the same movie, and I can't tell if it's because their characters are terribly underwritten, which they are, or if these actors lack performance ability, but... I'm believing nothing that I'm seeing from them on the screen. I see them going through actions, but when I question motivations, a lot of that is because I'm not getting anything out of their performance. I'm not getting anything between Chris and Claire. I hear words said between them, but I don't understand why Chris is being such a dick to her, and I don't understand why she came back to town, and so this is one of the worst acted films I've seen in theaters in quite a long time. I have a defense. I'm just going to put it out there. When I looked up the scant information about the production of this movie, it was shot October of last year during the pandemic, before we even had a vaccine. This movie was shooting. So if it feels like these people are keeping their distance and not relating to one another and not in the same shots with each other, you're probably picking up on the fact that that was a necessity of the production. Yeah, shooting anything at that point in time would have been weird. Shooting a movie about viruses at mm, that time yeah probably extra so which begs the question why why push forward did, why did this movie need to get made like why i i don't know like they did end up doing some reshoots after everyone got vaccinated but it i don't know how much of this is the reshot material or the original but i agree with you arnie there is a real disconnect in these performances that doesn't feel just like you can explain it away that they're bad actors it's like that they, they never met. Like yes. you're, you're like cutting people from different movies into the same movie. 
Umbrella Corp stole all the chemistry in town, so there was none left over for the actors. <laughs> it does make me wonder, though, why the people with their hair falling out and everything, did every doctor leave Raccoon City? These people are just content to stay home and let their bodies fall out? Like, I thought everybody had leukemia. I took it to mean, again, if I'm thinking about opioid, is that they're just addicted at this point. They can't think about moving on, but I don't know where it came from. Like, is it the water? At some point, Claire grabs a water bottle and, like, literally, not with a microscope or anything, but just, like, pours the water out and then runs the tap to see if she can, with her naked eye, see a difference (laughs) in the water quality. (laughs) But I don't know how she would ever conclude. It's just basically the Bertolucci guy on the video has supplied her with the idea that it's probably a poisoning... And, and, you know, it's always the water, right? And later on, Brutalucci is going to say to one of the cops, let me guess, they gave you vitamins or a shot, something you didn't even notice, but you're immune now. I mean, like, that's how you're going to <laughs> tell us, the audience, what they did? This is what I want more of in this movie. With the slow burn from this first act, I don't need to hurry up into killing zombies in hallways and with flashbangs and stuff like that. I would like more information about what we're dealing with here. Let's get a little bit more into Umbrella Corp. Let's get into what they're doing. What are they trying to achieve with these viruses? We don't get any of that. Yeah, what did they ever hope to do? I mean, the the purpose of any pharmaceutical company, you could argue, is to make money. You know, make money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Get, get you hooked on something and have you buying it. But if you're putting it in the water and it's just going to kill everyone, I don't understand the master plan. I guess you could say biological weapon. Maybe they're working with the military. It's always an easy culprit, right? Like, this, these zombies eventually could be soldiers uh, fighting some future war. The thing is, I can bring all of that in from the games. Yeah. I wish it was here in the movie and not just assuming, hey, you guys played that game way back when, so we don't even need to tell you this stuff. The games went through great pains of having journals and videos and tapes that explained this whole thing to you, none of which we have here. All we have here is this team of cops getting together at the station, and when their chief came in, I swear, I went, man, I think that's Donald Logue. Oh, no, it's not Donald Logue. He's too ugly and old to be Donald Logue. (laughs) I went on that same journey. (laughs) Yeah. When's the last time we've seen him? Blade? I mean, it's been decades. But apparently he's on Gotham, if you watch the Fox TV show about Batman, or I guess it's Commissioner Gordon. I don't know. I don't watch any superhero TV shows. But apparently he's been working steadily on TV and has a genre following. He's obviously the biggest actor in this, and giving a mildly amusing performance as the stereotypical chief that's going to shout at everyone, get your ass in gear. Oh yeah, injecting a little bit of charisma into this otherwise very, very blandly acted first act. I mean, he he comes in like a hot firecracker and kind of wakes me up at this point. Mm -hmm. He's commanding six cops to go to the station, right? And... There are so many. There's two that are already there, and now the sirens are going off, and he's going to just get out of there because that trucker that dropped off Claire is going to flip in front of the station. He's going to kill the zombie on fire that comes out of it and then just run away. Uh, Again, I don't understand why other people are banning their post. I guess it's a joke that we have this newbie character, Leon Kennedy, who was transferred here because he shot his partner in the butt and now is just like falling asleep on the job. He doesn't even know this zombie's coming into the station because he's got his disc man on and playing 90s pop. Yes, it's uh, Crush. Remember that song? 
<laughs> I haven't thought mm-hmm. of it. They dug deep. Yeah, four Don Blondes. And I don't know if it says 90s to me so much as cheap. Like, we could really get, afford these songs. <laughs> but I thought Leon was going to become more important than he does because they talk about how, yes, he shot his partner in the butt, but his dad is some bigwig who got him a transfer, so he got to keep being a police officer in Raccoon City. Oh, the dad's a bigwig. Is the dad Neil McDonough? Who's this big dad of his? Uh, Who's the daddy? And never comes up again. My guess is that if you played the video games, you would know exactly who Leon is and who his dad was. And you would know in some sequel, this is one of those movies that's always world building. We're going to tell you eventually who that dad is and you're going to be amazed, maybe. But you're right. This is frustrating as a storytelling device to not understand relationships and not get a self-contained arc within the context of this movie. Yeah, frustrating is the right word, because even if I was a huge fan of Resident Evil, and I replayed those games in anticipation of watching this movie, I still need that information in the movie to be conveyed. You can't just assume everybody has cliff-noted your script and your background before telling us a story. It's not wise. It's not a way to build a new audience. And again, it's been, you know, decades since we've had the first Resident Evil movie. You can just assume there's a whole audience that hasn't seen them and you want to just, you really want to teach them. I mean, that's the point of a reboot. And five years ago, I knew who all these characters were. I was playing the games. I was diving in deep for our retrospective series. Five years have passed and I didn't think I needed to redo this research. I thought the movie should tell me these things, and it did not. But I will say this. If it's just nothing but a John Carpenter ripoff, I'm kind of enjoying all this stuff at the station house. It's feeling a lot like Assault on Precinct 13 or something like that, where all these zombies are gathering at a gate, and the cops are slowly realizing, the ones that remain, it's basically this Leon dude, and Claire eventually stumbles her way here as well. They're realizing that, yeah, this whole town is, again, have they connected the evacuation? Are people evacuating? I guess we get this one scene with Chief Irons trying to get out of town and people in gas masks shooting people, but I couldn't tell whether that was a, a widespread plan or what. He's trying to leave, and they won't get out of his way. And when we hear the sirens is when we jump to Dr. William Birkin, Neil McDonough, and his wife and child. And he's like, we've got to go now. And this is really early on, and I'm thinking The Stand, right? I'm thinking about how The Stand miniseries started. I'm thinking this is when the virus broke. The sirens going off meant contamination was coming. None of that's the case. The contamination has been... Apparently intentional and long spread. Yeah. A, why is one of their lead scientists left behind? What right. did he do to piss off his bosses <laughs> that he is left there? And why would you keep your research here if you knew eventually it was going to be wiped out? Like, you know, there's a timetable that says 6 a.m. This whole place goes boom. Like, why would you potentially leave all of your work there to be destroyed? I don't know why he's even in town, really. It's, it's Agreed. Agreed. It's convenient. It's a gaping problem to not explain why the villain is still here when all the other villains have left town long ago. 
Yeah, the reason why they do it is because it provides some kind of catharsis for Claire. This is the man that almost abducted her and turned her into a mutant like Katie. And they have this moment where he almost, when he's trying to drive around in town, he he almost collides with her on the motorcycle. And like, even though she's wearing a helmet and like all he sees is her eyes through the visor, like he knows that's the 12-year-old that got away. And I don't even know that they really cash in on that backstory but that's the showdown it's claire and chris the adoptive kids versus their evil scientist foster daddy and he has his own kid again this is what got me confused because he would he i couldn't tell what was flashback and what the child in the present or rather the child in the 1998 timeline looks so much like the child in the 80s timeline that i couldn't tell what was flashback and what wasn't and I was thinking this new child, the doctor's child, would become the Red Queen. I was really yeah. thinking, like, oh, at the <laughs> end of this movie, she's going to be AI. No? Well, maybe. Again, what's so irritating about this movie is that maybe the ultimate design, but the end of this movie is not the end of any storyline. Like, the, all threads are dangling. We get no closure. So basically what we have going on, though, is two parallel storylines. In the mansion, we end up with four cops, two pairs of two, and they're going through this mansion and discovering secret passageways and fighting zombies, and I'm going to give them some serious credit for, again, that recreation of the video game, because when they come into one of those rooms and a zombie is eating one of their partners, they do this close-up camera angle and the zombie slowly turns its head. The lighting, the design of the zombie, the camera angle is a complete recreation of when you first find a zombie in the Resident Evil game. That, like, is burned into my memory as an iconic moment. They recreate that, and so that's the main storyline from the first game in which a bunch of cops die and not a lot happens in that building. <laughs> yeah, what I'm frustrated with is you say that they came because they weren't going to leave a man behind, but these were the jerk cops. We saw these cops early on in the diner. They blew in to get some coffee and they were really mean to Leon and I don't think we were supposed to like them. I think we're supposed to be just fine that they've been turned into zombie food here. So... I'll say this much. Spencer Mansion looks great, but this is the part of the movie I don't care about. I'd much rather be at the standoff at the police station, the John Carpenter movie, than the video game. And that's more of a Resident Evil 2, which is where Claire comes to town and is looking for her brother Chris, who was up at the mansion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's my preference. I don't know. Do you guys have a preference? Are you liking the storylines equally? I like the stuff in the police station so much better because things happen. Yeah. You're introduced to characters. Characters are killed. Everything going on in the mansion appears to be running on a treadmill. It's just there for some extra zombie stuff. But the mansion, compared to that first Paul W.S. Anderson film, and especially compared to the game, the mansion is nothing interesting. You know, it should be that you explore the mansion, you discover hidden labs, you discover mm. more monsters, you discover right. more secrets. They find one secret passage by playing a few piano notes, which Wesker knew about because somebody gave him a Palm Pilot. I, I loved that. I haven't thought about Palm Pilots in probably 20 years. <laughs> so yeah. that was a nice deep cut for the 90s. 
Yeah, no smartphones. Uh, yeah, the Palm Pilots were as sophisticated as it got. And the fact that he is working with an enemy of the Umbrella Corp, to me, they treat him like that makes him a suspicious character. But I would think that that would make him the hero. I'm confused by the fact that people conclude Wesker is betraying them all when, in fact, he's trying to stop the people that poison this town. Or at least, you know, he's going to profit from it. But, you know, the bad guys are going to get punished. I think it's because he could go with Jill Valentine to continue their mission and he chooses to go for the money instead. It's his prioritization that makes it bad. Yeah, that's fair. My problem with the mansion is, is it's it's just wasted. I know they're trying to cram fan service from the first two games into this single movie, but the first one that we saw, like, they at least gave us schematics of that mansion. It's like, oh, yeah, yes, this whole upper right. thing is a... Right, we got that 3D thing where it's like 12 levels deep, and it's like, okay, this is something interesting. But yeah, th this place is darklit hallways. You don't even get a sense of scale. You don't have any idea that there's labs underneath. I mean, there's a train on the bottom level, apparently. But it's it's just a completely wasted set piece. Do they not have enough money? I know this movie looks good, like art direction, but I feel like whenever it's time to do action, very scant, right? Like we just like there's the scene, the shootout in the dark, and it's uh, it's almost like a strobe light. You know, he's firing, and we barely see anything. And you could call that stylish. You could say that that's a clever way of taking a meager budget and making a moment that looked kind of cool. But after, particularly at this moment in the movie, we're about an hour in. I'm like, I want to see things. I want things to happen and I feel like we've had a lot of reminders of what Anderson did in the previous movie but without the action to to back it up I thought that scene was stylish and I I tried to think if that was anywhere in the Resident Evil games was there ever a level I got to play where I was in a totally black room and the muzzle flare was the light and or the lighter. You know, he's got that lighter that keeps going out and a zombie is getting closer and closer to him every time he flicks it on. Oh, yeah, they definitely had that. I, that was drawing me back to the first game where they had, you know, flashlights where the batteries were going to die on you and you had lighters where you were running out of fuel. Hmm, okay. See, I thought, like, these are nice touches, but they don't feel Resident Evil to me. But again, Resident Evil is defined by what was done in those Kung Fu movies the last six times. So it's... I don't know. I'm really curious to hear you, Arnie, in particular, since you love the first movie so much. When we see the dog, when we have the, you know, zombie neighbors smash through the glass and come at Claire, are these moments adrenalizing? No, my pulse never raises a beat in this entire movie. Do either of yours? Mm, I feel like it's starting to, and then they don't do the scene. It's like, oh, that dog looks good. And then, like, I think he just gets shot off camera or something. Like, I just... This director is good at a tease. He'll do a nice setup. You feel like something scary is coming. But when it's time to actually do the moment, it's pretty underwhelming consistently. Yeah, no, I mean, and for me, anything that was even remotely approaching scary was left back in the first act with that mom and her child neighbor. Mm -hmm. We weren't really sure what's going on. There was a couple good, I don't even call them jump scares, but just quick pans to, oh, geez, there's a lady with no hair and, or, mm -hmm. you know, bleeding out of her eye. That... That's disturbing. But once we start getting into this and it becomes kind of a blood and gore type of orgy, it really just becomes saturated in that. And there's absolutely no shock value to it. 
I agree. It's when the pilot dies and the helicopter, again, why these cops have a helicopter, why they're not getting in the helicopter and getting away from Raccoon City. But yeah, they crash it and now they're marooned in this dark world. And I feel like I don't even know where people are. They're just running down hallways and stuff. It's like no sense of orientation. Yeah, it's why I really dislike the mansion side of the story. Mm-hmm. And even when the other characters start getting into the mansion, <laughs> it goes bad. But they do stick around Leon and the chief and Claire. It turns out Claire's contact was sitting in a jail cell below. Nobody knows why he's been there. Like, the cops don't even know he's down there. Who arrested him? Why is he locked in a cell with a zombie? It's kind of a nice moment. Again, when I talk about the buildup of tension, yeah, could you find the key? The new guy can't figure out the key to open the door, and the cellmate is obviously standing up and becoming more and more aggressive, and can he be rescued in time? Funny thing, I had to look it up, right? Because they're indicating that everyone in this town is a mutant, right? But, like, this Bertolucci guy, (laughs) he really does have that overbite. That is not makeup. That is not a fake teeth (laughs) of any kind. He just, they cast him. I really thought it was. I thought we were going to watch, like, subsequent videos of him just slowly getting worse. Less hair, teeth falling out. Yeah. I don't know if that's even a compliment to this actor that, like, you look like a mutant uh, from (laughs) Raccoon City. But uh, that's entirely coincidental. Or they, they, they play upon that without having to spend the makeup money. Clint Howard wasn't available. Yeah, yeah, he did have a Clint Howard vibe. But he gets killed, and I think the point is, I don't know if there's a great point, but the point is Leon's always screwing up. Claire always has to clean up, and this new guy, he's always just not able to do it. And it will take the whole movie before he finally gets a bazooka and gets a kill shot. But for the most part, every time he's on screen, he's a liability. He's almost bit. He's never shooting the zombie. You don't have to shoot him in the head. That's one thing I noticed here. They don't have Romero rules. You just can shoot him enough in the stomach and they die. And that's, again, kind of going back to the game. I mean, headshots in the games where you could make them helped more. It, like, took away more hit points from them. But Mm -hmm. mainly you were just shooting in their general direction, especially in those early games, and eventually they'd fall down. It was number of bullets not location of bullets so yeah i felt like that was the case and you're right this leon s kennedy later on somebody's going to be like leon you you're alive and he's like i'm as surprised as you are yeah that was the only moment where i actually liked anything leon actor avian yogia is doing (laughs) that was a funny moment for him but the rest of the time he's a liability both to the survivors and to the movie yeah i feel like i want the movie to be him and Claire, maybe looking for the brother. Keep Donna Logue in it for a while. But yeah, you eventually kill him. They, for reasons, go back to the orphanage. Because the orphanage has some secret passage to the mansion or something. But did she know that for sure? Uh, I don't recall her doing that in the past. But I'll just take them at their word. I mean, she was taken to go in that passage when she was a child. And that's where she ran away. But I don't think she actually saw the passage. I don't think the mutant little girl told her about the passage. Yeah, I don't know. But this is where I remember this was a thing. I don't remember if it was the first movie or the second one. But there was like a Venom tongue monster, right? That's in the game that these... 
this thing that comes down through the swinging fluorescent lights and snaps off Donalogue's head. Yeah, what are these called? Lashers? Yeah. Now that we actually have Venom movies, it's maybe making less of an impact. But the iconography still works in Resident Evil. I feel like all the monsters look pretty cool. But it is disappointing that Lisa is not a two-faced monster. She's just wearing a second mask askew from her own face. Yeah, that was a tease that was never really fulfilled. Mm -mm. And she's like putty in Claire's hand. They haven't seen each other in at least 10 years, maybe longer. And all Claire has to do is call her a friend. And she's like, oh, yeah, here's the key. Here's how to do this. I'll kill this (laughs) this slasher monster you're talking about. (laughs) Okay, I guess. And if it's not directly from a video game, then okay, it's in a video game movie. But having the keyhole hidden behind a balloon graphic on a wall. That feels very much like a video game trope, Mm -hmm. so I've got to give them to it there a little bit. I like that stuff, though. I mean, I I do like... If this movie were more focused on creeping around and finding hidden passages, I could really be into that, but it comes really easy. Like, I feel like they get there, really. They're, They're in an elevator, and all of a sudden, they have all the materials to prove what we already knew. Umbrella is corrupt. We We have footage of them, like... What's with these Ashford twins tearing off wings off dragonflies? I don't know what these movies prove, but it proves that, I guess, Umbrella Corporation is a a child torturer. I thought they were going to kiss at the end. Did you? Yes, totally, yes. There's a village of the damned kind of quality to them. I don't know. I don't remember that from any previous movie. I don't know if they're in the game, but obviously, I just will assume everything in here that makes no sense is a tease for something in a game. That's why they did it. It makes sense to somebody, but not me. It's very confusing, because even the game itself uses found videotapes and stuff like that to bring us, the player, up to date on previous events. And... This does not do that. I mean, this is just footage of two twins torturing a dragonfly. And it didn't do anything to add to the story. It was just a pause button, essentially. Yeah, they have a ledger full of dead children. We already knew that. Again, she knew that they were killing them when she left. Why she's come back alone without a means to fight them on the night that they're blowing up the town after they moved the headquarters. Really bad timing, this girl, Claire. (laughs) But eventually in the tunnels, it doesn't take much for these people to find each other. I feel like it's one big tunnel, not like yes. catacombs. Correct. Yes. Yeah. And yeah, there's a big standoff between William, the foster father, and Wesker. Like Wesker has been following the Palm Pilot advice and going to get these viruses. And William is... He brought his wife and kids. I love the fact that they're just like sitting there in the lab and there's like a zombie that's being like uh, watching its own autopsy. And they're like, Dad, what have you been doing here? (laughs) God's work. (laughs) But yeah, they're going to have to have a shootout for this virus. And both of them get it, but don't die. I'm going to give Neil McDonough this. He and Donald Logue saved this movie as far as any performance because Neil McDonough has played enough bad people in bad movies including i know who killed me Mm. that he will be given these lines and he will chew up the scenery irrespective of 
any quality around him. He's just going to do his thing, and it's more than anybody else is giving. Yeah, this is where it does start to feel like when he starts to mutate, you know, in order to save himself after he gets fatally shot, he injects himself with some kind of virus, T, G, C, don't know. But yeah, he turns into, I think, a a mutant monster we saw in the second Anderson film, right? Like, that was the thing. I mean, it looks familiar. He's got a hunchback with this great big horn and big eyeballs all over his body. You you shoot out the eyeballs. That's part of the fun of of, of taking him on. (laughs) Yeah, he was played by uh, Jason Isaacs in the first film. Oh, okay. I remember him in those movies. Yeah. And yeah, it's a character from several of the games, and yes, he, it is just like this movie. He's pretty much dead, injects himself with G-Virus, and then becomes a big monster attacking them. He's one of the final bosses in part two. And perfectly okay to become this mutant, too, by the way. Like, if I had the choice between dying and becoming, like, this hideously deformed monster, eh, just, just let me bleed out. I think I'll be all right with that. I have to think there's something in the virus that alters his brain chemistry into not caring about that. Because I was having the same thing. Like, this should be body horror. This should be, oh my god, what have you forced me to do to my own body that I have these boils and this huge, strange claw arm? And... Yet he's completely fine with being monstrous, and that was the case with all the earlier Resident Evil films, too. Remember, there was never a point of, what has happened to me? It's like, no, I'm a super monster now. I'm awesome. Yeah, (laughs) a lot of, yeah, flipping. Again, it was just a way to fight really good. And here it does feel more like a Kevin Yeager 80s splatter movie, and... That's good. I like that as a direction. I'll just put that out there. I like that we have this grotesque monster to fight here at the end, but too little too late. And help me out with this whole thing about the point was made that he put Chris through the police academy and all that. He raised this kid. He chose not to send him, even though he was in the orphanage, he chose not to turn him into a mutant. Do we have any understanding why? Mm, I think he really was maybe just looking to have a family. Because I'm not even sure that the daughter that he has now... But he has one. We're not sure of that. That's not made explicit. That's true. That You're right. That could be another foster kid. So maybe they grow up and he gets another one. Who can say? Was he running the orphanage? Did he take these two kids... No, those kids were in an orphanage, even though they seemed to be the only two kids there except for Lisa... And so, is he running the orphanage and doing medical experiments? Is he like Carol Burnett by day and Evil Doctor by night? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. This movie could have used more Carol Burnett. I'll just say that. (laughs) These are all questions that I would love this movie to explore. Like, that's Mm -hmm. what I was really hoping for. But it's actually over. Believe it or not. Like, like, all of a sudden, the mansion's collapsing. They're jumping on some fast train to get through some mountains to go to the neighboring town and yeah the leon guy gets the bazooka and kills monster william and you know what i think that there was a real challenge here how many times did paul ws anderson drop a nuke on a city Mm -hmm. i think it was every time they had to destroy a city they were dropping nukes and so they're like we have to destroy the city but the nuke has been done to death what are we going to do I have no idea the science behind it. I don't know how you're even sure it kills everybody, but the city just kind of crumbles in upon itself. They don't have the money for an explosion, so they, yeah, it just caves in, a cow blows away or something like that. But yeah, it's kind of an (laughs) underwhelming CGI effect. Yeah, I mean, not that I wanted this ending to stretch on any longer, but 
coming in with the RPG and blowing up Dr. Birkin real quick. It seemed a little anticlimactic. Yeah, I feel like the whole movie has been building up to something it didn't deliver to us. And that's what's so strange is like, I'm still waiting for the climax and they're rolling credits. And there's the mid credit scene, Wesker is not dead or he's undead. This was a tease in the first movie, right? This is what, I guess what I was thinking about. There was some guy that was hauled away that had a monster arm and he came back as a monster in the second movie. It's probably this Wesker guy, right? No, Wesker was the guy who sat in the boardrooms with the sunglasses on in a whole bunch of those movies. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I vaguely remember someone sitting in, it was Matrixy, right? Yeah. He was in a white room. Okay. Vaguely. Yeah, near the end of that series, he ended up in that big white room with the glass tubes. Yes. Okay. Who's Ada Wong? I know that's, again, Mrs. Utani cares, but I really don't. Like, what tie is this? She is a major character from a lot of the side games, like Operation Raccoon City and Dark Side Chronicles. She's kind of a mysterious anti-hero who's going to actually be against Umbrella, but also has her own mysterious goals. She was in the Resident Evil film series. Really? Not that I remember those. She was in Retribution. I barely remember. That's the fifth one where they like just repeated the scenes from the previous movies in a holodeck. Remember that? <laughs> yeah, the big the big set, yeah. And Ada was the one who rescued her. Oh, okay. Didn't remember that detail. You gave me a five-year-old flashback. Okay. (laughs) There it is. I agree, though. This is, again, you're playing for a one-percenter audience here. Your movie needs to appeal outside of your game audience Mm -hmm. in order to really be a hit. And, yeah, I guess credit scenes are always for those people in the know. I didn't know what Harry Styles looked like at a glance, so I wasn't excited by that eternal scene. And somebody in your audience, Stuart, didn't know who Thanos was and thought it was Hellboy. So, (laughs) I mean, it's always for the people who know, and for the people who know Ada Wong and Wesker's future together, they're jazzed about what the sequel may bring, but... Even for me, who knew this stuff at one point in time, I'm left cold. Yeah, I was just, again, thinking about Carpenter and Roddy. He kind of looked like Roddy Piper from They Live, putting on those sunglasses. But I don't know what that means. I guess he's the character that sits around wearing sunglasses. So (laughs) do they really think they have, like, some kind of Marvel Cinematic Universe here? Like, they they really think they're going to keep going with this? I guess that was the aspiration. Nobody makes a franchise film thinking it's going to be the only one. Right. Yeah, obviously. This movie doesn't even begin to tell a complete, coherent, (laughs) self-contained story. But is that a fatal flaw, or does this have an afterlife? Justin Stewart, do you recommend Resident Evil? Welcome to Raccoon City. Justin. It's difficult to disappoint somebody who comes into a movie with no expectations. (laughs) My only expectation coming into this movie was, hey, it's a fresh start. And it doesn't have Mia Jovovich anymore. So there's a chance that they could do this right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know what that means when it comes to Resident Evil. What does doing it right mean? Well, at bare minimum, it should be making a movie that makes sense as a movie, even if you don't know the games. You can have all the little winks and nods to the hardcore fans you want. But at the end of the day, you have to make a movie that tells a story. And this just failed. And the reason I'm disappointed is because that first act really kind of got me hopeful. 
we talked about how it was a slow burn and it was it had a nice creepy vibe to it at the beginning and i liked the slow reveals i liked that we didn't just get dropped into a zombie world and start firing right away we get to watch slow changes we see a bird change first and then we see the dog and the the truck driver and we the, something's going on with these neighbors i don't think anybody two-fists a gun right yeah this this first part of the movie is playing very well to me and it's making me ask all these questions about this world you know a world that we visited before but it never gives me any answers i wanted this movie to continue on that pace and start giving us some behind the scenes of what's going on with umbrella court why are they there what are they doing why are the sirens going off? Why won't they let people out? But it was just too much in a rush to become a video game walkthrough. Because what we get into in Act 2 and 3 is basically just sitting on the couch next to your buddy playing the game while you kind of fade in and out, you know? Or today's Twitch, you know? Maybe maybe this is that the audience. Kids who like watching other people play games online, hey, maybe they'll love this. But to me, it left me feeling more empty coming out of it than I did going in. So I can't say I'm disappointed because it's not a franchise I super care about, but I feel like it's a big missed opportunity for these guys. And if they do have more plans going forward, I don't want more of this. I think they need to course correct and get more into the lore and bring us into this world rather than assuming that we already care about this world. So for me, it, it's a not recommend. It's something that I feel like didn't need to be made and it didn't really add much other than fan service to the most hardcore fans. Stuart. Yeah, the the thing I compare it to, the only thing I could think of is it's always interesting when a franchise that's so closely identified with one director suddenly doesn't have that creative force anymore. And, wh and what I would compliment this movie is it showed what a Resident Evil movie could be without Paul W.S. Anderson. And I do feel like... Yeah, I wanted to like that. Uh, the compliment I can give Johannes Roberts is he sure does know how to milk a threadbare concept for all it's worth. The way he photographs the nighttime cityscapes, the way that he can clone those shitty John Carpenter movies I should enjoy but do, like Prince of Darkness. Like, he's got a feel for that. And that was why I ultimately gave Strangers 2 a weak recommend, because it was just a stylish pastiche. But in the end, this is like... Yeah, well, the only other franchise I could think of like this was Transformers. Like, what is a Transformers movie when it doesn't have Michael Bay? It's still bad. It's still Bumblebee. And this one, it just, you know, the slow burn burns out eventually. In the end, we do need karate kicks or something to kickstart this movie at the hour mark because it is just deadly dull. We have all these cops milling in and out of the dark when they should probably be evacuating town. And it just really, a script that is propelled by video game Easter eggs and fan service and will just make no sense if you haven't played the game before or seen one of the previous installments. It's a middling teen soap opera that performances are bad, as you state, and I don't care about who Ada Wong is or any of the things they're teasing. They're so happy to tell you what's happened before and what's going to happen in the future, and nothing is put on the tension of the present moment. And that is really the problem. There's no there there here in Welcome to Raccoon City. So I say leave this trash for the raccoons. Watch 28 Days, 28 Weeks Later. Uh, there are better zombie movies. Not recommend. About 45 minutes into this movie, I really became existential and started asking, well, I started asking questions about what I'm doing with my life. But beyond that, <laughs> I started asking questions about what this director was attempting to accomplish. Like, was he trying to make this scary? Like I said earlier, it was very atmospheric. It was very 
dark. There was a decent amount of gore. The very first zombie we see, the one that gets hit by a truck, was kind of creepy looking. But then, by the end of the movie, we've got this mutant girlfriend, and we've got Neil McDonough turning into a very unscary monster that just looks like it walked out of one of Paul W.S. Anderson's films and onto the set here. And so, I'm like, I don't think think they're going for legitimate scares. At no point is there ever a jump scare. At no point is there ever the sting of music and a zombie coming out of nowhere. And at no point is there impending doom or dread. So I don't think they're going for horror. So are they going for action? There's not a whole lot of action in this movie. There's a few gunshots. There's the bazooka. There's the moment where the truck rams the police station. I mean, they're set pieces, but I wouldn't call this an action film. Is it a drama? I mean, I'm really stretching as to what movie am I watching? It's that teen drama stuff that I can't stand. Vampire Diaries kind of drama. Yeah, I'm like, is this supposed to be the sibling drama plus the love triangle drama? We didn't even get into it because it's barely there, but... Chris loved Jill, Jill loved Wesker, and then Jill felt very betrayed by Wesker, and so now Chris has a chance in the sequel, I guess. But, yeah, is that what I'm supposed to care about? Is this a comedy? God knows Donald Logue is hamming it up, and in the end, I don't know what I watched. (laughs) I really don't. All I know is, as Stuart said, it's dreadfully dull, and it made me, I'll give it this. It did seep itself in the 90s enough to make me a little nostalgic. It is 128.8 modem ring away from having every 90s stereotype in it. So, recommend for the 90s, not recommend for this movie. And now we're at 4 for 4 with me and Johannes Roberts. (laughs) I don't know that I ever want to see one of his films again. Yeah, I think Justin came closest to this. I think it's a video game walkthrough. It's someone that showed what a a game would be like. And boy, it would be fun if you were actually playing this. But yeah, just seeing it done in this way, not there. And I don't think there will be more. I think that my guess is the box office on this is going to be abysmal. Yes, it's a low budget. And yes, it'll make its money back. But they've already started a reboot. I just want to point it out there. Netflix has announced an eight-part series from uh, the creator of Supernatural. If you remember that CW show that ran forever about the brothers fighting Supernatural, whatever. Like They're getting directors from Walking Dead and the Supernatural guy, and they're going to focus on Wesker, and it's it's new Raccoon City. Like, they're just going <laughs> to... This Raccoon City just doesn't count. We're, we're leaving it in the 90s, and we're going to get a contemporary zombie TV show uh, sometime soon, I think in the next six months. My mind boggles that you could have a Superman TV series at the same time as a Superman movie or a Flash TV series at the same time as a Flash movie and they're not connected. But yeah, that's the world we're living in. I think you could have a sequel to this Resident Evil with the film studio making money while Netflix has their TV show. And they already do that with those animated movies. There's always those, we didn't even bother to cover them, but there's always, every couple years, a new, uh, like, computer-generated, kind of looks like the Final Fantasy movie, Resident Evil thing, that, yeah, who knows who these things are for, but, yeah, too deep for me. I keep waiting for the good movie, because I do feel like 
virus movie, pandemic, zombies, the photography. There's a lot about this that's just a sweet spot for me. I could easily have recommended this movie if they had just tried a little bit harder and maybe if they had filmed it not in an actual pandemic. Yeah, I mean, this one started off, like I said, with a lot of promise that I wasn't even expecting. And to watch it fall off the cliff was was a little disappointing. Well, the good news is we're leaving video games for a little while. Next time we're going to theaters to see a video game movie, it will be with uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg in February. Uncharted, a adventure video game that kind of looks like Indiana Jones, but I've never played. That movie actually looks good. I'd be watching it with or without our video game retrospective series. Tom Holland has been doing very interesting non-Spider-Man work with things like Cherry, and so I'm interested to see his second attempt to have a blockbuster franchise. I think he... I think this entire movie will determine if he hangs up the webs or signs a new contract, right? Maybe, but yeah, this could be, I mean, low, low bar, this could be the best video game movie ever made. We say that about every new one. I think we do. we're still at, like, Detective Pikachu's the best. Just be better than Marley, okay, and you win. <laughs> the bar is so low, guys. It's so low. Somebody's going to clear it one of these days, and we are going to be shocked. Yeah. Speaking of low bars, we're back to Stephen King next week. On the main feed, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. It was an anthology horror work like uh, Skeleton Crew and God Forbid Night Shift. We are going to start with the TNT anthology series, Nightmare and Dreamscape, and cover three more adapted works in the weeks ahead. I'm looking forward to getting back to King a little bit. And of course, it's going to be broken up with theatrical releases because we've got the new Spider-Man movie in just a couple weeks and then a new Kingsman movie a couple weeks after that. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to that. And of course, Paranormal Activity keeps rolling along as well. This Friday, we get to the sequel. Arnie, you had a surprise positive reaction to the first movie. Can they keep it going? Find out, join us this Friday. Yeah, it was a surprisingly diversive film review for that first Paranormal Activity. I hope you've joined us and listened to it. If you haven't, please head to nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. I know this is the time of year. We're into the holiday shopping season. Money is tight. Anything you can do to help out Now Playing, though, is so greatly appreciated. And we have up to 40 bonus podcasts including the upcoming review of the new Matrix film and seven Paranormal Activity reviews. So all the details at nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And thank you to everyone who's donated so far in this fall winter donation drive. If you haven't donated in a while, we have a totally new donation system going on. All of your podcasts are on one single page. It's much easier. It works much better with multiple RSS feeds. We've spent a lot of time and money developing a new delivery system that we have gotten great feedback on. So if you had some trouble in the past, technically, give us a try again. And we think this system's going to make you happy. And the podcast we think will also make you happy to listen to. That's what's important to us. And so Justin Stewart, thank you for going into the mansion one more time with me. And until next time, game over. dreams there would be this many of us left alive so what's next i say we live up to the promise 
This is Arcadia, broadcasting on the emergency frequency. There is no infection. Repeat, there is no infection. We offer safety and security, food and shelter. If you are out there, we will help you. There is hope. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Resident Evil Retrospective Series. When I get out of here, I think I'm going to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> Might want to clean up a little bit first. We hope that you've enjoyed the show. I'm missing you already. Would you like to continue? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com next week to hear another Resident Evil movie review. One way or another, our world is coming to an end. The question is... Will we end with it? And visit the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives for reviews of other films, including Blade, Hellboy, The Shining, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and more. I've been a bad, bad girl. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at NowPlayingPodcast.com and come back each week for another new movie review. For so long, I thought you were the future. I was wrong. <laughs> I am the future. Also at NowPlayingPodcast.com forward slash book, you can order Now Playing's film review collection, Underrated Movies We Recommend. This book has 125 reviews about films you probably haven't seen, but you should. Good thing we like a challenge. Want to take part in the discussion? Join the Now Playing hosts at our forums, where you and the other listeners can give your thoughts on this movie review. The links to our forums is at nowplayingpodcast.com. I told you I'd be bringing a few friends. You should have brought more. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where the hosts post new episode announcements and written movie reviews. The links to our social media pages can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I always knew you'd be drawn to your friends. Insert coins to keep playing. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. I didn't think any of you would make it this far. Not without infection. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. Everyone is grateful for you helping us out. We really are grateful. You can also support our show and get dozens of bonus movie reviews. But I can offer you something you want very much. What is that? For Now Playing's 10th anniversary, we have opened the vaults. And at our Podbean page, you can donate and get archived movie reviews, including the Night of the Living Dead series, Alien, Return of the Living Dead, Jaws, The Exorcist, Jurassic Park, and more. We're reopening the hive. Links to all these reviews can be found in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives section. Humanity will cease to exist unless you return to the hive. You can also join our Podbean crowdfunding campaign to help our show grow. Backers of $10 or more will receive exclusive bonus podcast reviews. We're going to need more ammo. You can also help out Now Playing by leaving us a five-star review on iTunes. A link to Now Playing's iTunes listing can be found at nowplayingpodcast.com. I'm going to kill you. Perhaps. But first you have work to do. Now Playing is produced by Arnie Carvalho. I can't remember much before all this started. Sometimes I feel like this has been my whole life. Now Playing's Resident Evil series is edited by David, Heath, and Arnie. I don't 
wouldn't be one of those things walking around without a soul. Now playing credit narration by Brock. This is what I do. The Resident Evil films and all movie audio and music are the property of its respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. Hey boys, bad idea. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. I have no reason to believe a word you say. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2021. All rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. I want her quarantined, close observation, and a full series of blood tests. Let's see if she's infected. Take her to the Raccoon City facility. Then assemble the team. I want to know what went on down there. Just do it. Stars. Although, did either of you just, off the record, did either of you see his last movie, Malignant? OMG. No. That's all I can say to that one. Holy, we should do that sometime because that is one of the, that may be the worst movie of the year. It's astounding. <laughs> I'm down. Let's just push Ace Attorney off a little bit and let's do Malignant. <laughs> Oof. It is cancerous. Stars.